1: They step up and and say, I don't like my neighbor. And then Mr. Mind steps in and says, I've been thinking that the Lord never said that you have to like him. He said you have to love him. (laughs) And then then Mr. Hart argues, well, I tell you, I don't like my neighbor and I don't feel like loving him. Because that's the feeling, Mr. Hart. And so then Mr. Will steps in and rebukes Mr. Hart and says, Mr. Hart, I don't care if you don't like your neighbor. Mr. Hart, love your neighbor when you feel like it. Love your neighbor when you don't feel like it. Love your neighbor until you feel like it. That's what Mr. Hart says, you know. (laughs) Mr. Hart, Mr. Will, they say to Mr. Mind. Mr. Hart, Mr. Will, they turn now to Mr. Mind and they say, how? You're the Einstein in this group, you're Mr. Mind. So how are we to love our neighbor? And then Mr. Mind steps in and again he says, okay, let me think about how we can love our neighbor. Let me think about what he needs. Let me think about what we can do to make him happy. I know he likes chocolate chip cookies. And Mr. Will steps in and says, yes, we will bake him chocolate chip cookies. Mr. Mind says, Well, I saw he forgot to bring his trash cans up. So I've been thinking that we could bring his trash cans up for him. Mr. Will steps in and says, yes, we will bring those trash cans up for him. We will bake some cookies. Et cetera. And so that's how this second commandment is like the first commandment, it's like the first commandment because it involves these three parties, Mr. Heart, the feeling, Mr. Will, uh, from the soul with the willpower, the willpower that says, not my will but thine be done, and Mr. Mine, and then they're all working together to enable the person to love the neighbor as himself. Now he comes in, okay, so this is what he's saying here in this part here, now we go back to chapter five, and when he's talking about this, he says again, you have heard that it hath been said, love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Now what's interesting here is that there's this missing of these words when he says you have heard that hath been said. For example, when you look back on verse 21, on verse 21, he said, you have heard that it hath been said, by them of old time, that's missing. Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in of the judgment. You look at verse 27, again, he says, you have heard that it hath been said, by them of old time. Thou shalt not commit adultery, again in verse 33. He says, again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself. So those were the teachings that were based on what was said by them of old time. In other words, they were based on the word of God. They were based on the prophets by them of old time. But instead, we're in another category now. This is the category which he used in verse 31. Verse 31, when he said, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a bill of divorcement. In verse 38, and missing by them of old time. Verse 38, you have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Again, missing by them of old time. And these are the categories where the Lord is saying, I know what you have heard. And in the one case, you heard a wrong explanation of what the Bible says. Those are the teachings that he said, you have heard that have been said by them of old time. Now, the other topics that he's covering here are just the you have heard topics, where he's saying, I know what you heard in this category. You heard either an addition to the word of God, for example, or you heard a re-explanation of the word of God in the sense that it says this, but it means that. Where we're in right now is this addition category where something is added to what God never said. Love thy neighbor, that comes right out of the Bible. That's in the Bible, that's Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19.18 says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But where does it say, the last part of that in Matthew 5.43, hate thine enemy? Where did that come from, hate thine enemy? Well, I'll tell you, not from the Bible. And that's the reason why the Lord said, You have heard that it hath been said. And he didn't put the other part in there of old time. He didn't say it hath been said of them of old time, because it wasn't said by them of old time. It wasn't said by them of the prophets who wrote the Bible that they were to hate their enemies. So he says, You've heard that it hath been said, which shows that he knew very well what they were being taught. He knew that. And he didn't say that you've heard of them of old time, you should hate your enemy, but he said, You've heard that it hath been said you should hate your enemy. They knew what they were being taught. They were being taught that it hath been said, in other words, not something new, it came along a long time. So now we think about it, it hath been said you should hate your enemy. And now the question is, who said that? By who? It didn't come from the Bible, so the Bible didn't say that. Who said that? It's not in the Bible, And you should hate your enemy. So who did say that? If you were to ask the people, who said you should hate your enemy? And they would say that. I can answer for you in one word. <laughs> tradition, right? Tradition, it's part of our tradition. And so you ask the people, how did this tradition get started? You know, the answer is, ah, I tell you, tell you, I don't know, but it's a tradition. So the Bible says, thou shalt love thy neighbor. The Bible does not say, you should hate thine enemy. So in this verse, in this verse, you have been heard, been said, should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, that's the danger, it's the and. It should be thou shalt love thy neighbor, period. But this and, this brings in all the trouble. So the and is introducing the error. And this is so typical of deception. Deception never can stand on error alone. The devil never could have come into the Garden of Eden and and said to Eve, I'm the devil, (laughs) I'm the deceiver, I'm the evil one, I'm the wicked one. I'm the one who's trying to destroy you. He can never do that. So he always has to come, as deception always comes, as an angel of light, always has to come with deception, always has to have some truth to bring in the lie. Deception is a curveball. It starts out, it looks like a straight pitch, and then all of a sudden the straight pitch turns into a curve. The straight ball is the first path in this verse 43, thou shalt love thy neighbor. The straight pitch becomes a curve ball with the next part in verse 43 and hate thine enemy. Hate thine enemy comes from a tradition and tradition is based on what they call today the oral law, ah, they say Moses, don't you know? Moses gave two laws, he gave the written law which he wrote down in the first five books of Moses but then he also whispered a lot of things in the years of the elders, and that's called the oral law, and it was passed on orally from elder to elder over thousands of years. It's been passed on, and they've been writing it down, trying to write it down over these thousands of years in the Talmud. So this tradition that the addition here, hate thine enemy, is based on. And what made it very interesting is that they could say, well, their literal neighbor is my enemy. So, you know, so I can hate my enemy. I can hate my neighbor. In other words, who the neighbor is was flexible and who the enemy was was flexible. And this is an example of what the Lord accused them of doing when, with their so-called oral law or tradition in Matthew 15.1. In Matthew 15.1, one when one says, Then came the, to Jesus the scribes and Pharisees, which were up Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the traditions? Of the elders, for they wash not their hands when they eat bread. And again, this is a very strong tradition. I've told you this before. That uh, one time I was, I was in the bathroom of the synagogue, and being the little squirt that I was, the young kid, you know. And so, you know, I went to the bathroom, and then I was, you know, going to just leave without washing my hands, you know. But there was an old man; he had bony hands. I remember, and he put his bony hand on my shoulder. And I looked up at him, and he says. Jews always wash their hands. He said that. I said, oh, I always wondered what a Jew was. He was a person who washes hands, okay. But, <laughs> but this is what he's being challenged with here. He says the tradition of the elders in Miss Matthew 15. One, the tradition of the elders was that you wash your hands when you're bread. Well, where does it say that in the Bible? You have to wash your hands for you. It doesn't. It's not in the Bible, but it's a tradition. But he answered and said unto them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, honor thy father and thy mother, and he that curses father and mother, let him die the death. But you say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it's a gift, Korban, by whatsoever that might be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect. You might look at that and you say, what is he talking about? He says, thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. In other words, when your father and your mother need something it would be honoring to them to give them that, and they want it, and they're putting their finger at it that their tradition was, but then you could say, ah, but that's a gift for God. You can't have that. I use it until I die because it's a gift for God, dedicated to God, so you can't have it, see? Oh, trick. So that was a tradition, and he says, okay, then you just made void the word of God, the commandment of God says, honor your father and mother by your tradition. Now, that sums up, what he's doing in all of this teaching, very simple, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's exposing, he's exposing all this when he says in Matthew 15, 6, as we just heard, Matthew 15, 6, thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So this is what he's doing here in the first part when he says you have heard that it's been said by them of old, you have heard that it's been said He's showing that their teachers were making the commandment of God of none effect by their tradition. And then the second section of his teaching, when he says, but I say unto you, now he's, he's straightening it out. He's restoring the effect of the commandment of God. So by saying to lust after a woman in the heart was a violation of God's commandment, he is restoring the effect of the commandment of God to not commit adultery. When he's saying, don't get angry with another person to the point where you have sharp word, because that's a violation of God's commandment, he's restoring the effect of the commandment to not murder. So in this part of the teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount, he's on a mission to restore the effect of the commandments of God that have been taken away by the tradition of the elders. Their teachers had added, in this case here that we're talking about, their teachers had added that you are to hate your enemies, and that's so far from what God commanded. For example, in Exodus 23, 4, 4, it says, if thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden and wouldst forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. So here God was telling them that if you're walking along one day and you see your enemy's donkey and he's broken out of his enclosure or his ox, that you're not to say, oh, that's the donkey of my enemy. I hope it gets really good and lost, you know, and I hope he never recovers with it. I'm happy with the loss. No, the opposite. You're to say, oh, that's a donkey of my enemy. I hate to lose something, especially something as valuable as an animal like an ox or a donkey. I feel his lost. I'm gonna stop what I'm doing. I'm gonna rescue the animal and bring it back to him. So by adding this convenient and hate thine enemies, the teachers made a way for them to hate those who hate the enemies that they controlled the definition of the enemy. So to put hate thine enemy on the same level as love thy neighbor to the people, it sounds like, It's a duty for me to love my neighbor. It's spoken of the same context. It's a duty for me to hate my enemy. I must hate my enemy. So this is the misleading that taught the people to love their neighbor. They taught the people to love love their neighbor who, for the most part, they did interpret neighbor to be their own, their own people. In other words, fellow Jews, the term neighbor did not apply to the goyim who were not Jewish. And for example, it certainly didn't apply to the Romans. They were taught that the Romans were not their neighbors that they were to love. That The Romans were their enemies who had conquered their land, forced them into submission. The people were taught to hate the Romans because the Romans also were not Jewish. The Romans were their enemies. And so while the people are being taught to hate those who were their enemies and not Jewish, the law was saying just the opposite. Moses said just the opposite in Deuteronomy 23, seven. Deuteronomy 23, seven. Moses says, thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, for he is thy brother. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian, because thou wast a stranger in his land. He says, thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, because he's thy brother. I tell you that when you go to Israel, you have a hard time telling the difference between Arabs and Jews. It's not easy and not just in their appearance, but in their mannerisms and the way they act, they really are brothers, they really are. Nobody likes to talk about that, but it's very obvious. Now, if it was Chinese, okay, it'd be easy to tell the difference, but they're not. not. Anyway, So who are the people that they're taught to love and are tied up in this neighbor? Because this is the question, and people weren't stupid, they knew this, they knew that, you know, it's very fluid, who is the neighbor, who is the neighbor, you know, who is the neighbor? And so this came to a head, in Luke 10:25, in Luke 10:25, when again a lawyer, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. Luke 10:25, saying, "Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" He said unto him, "What's written in the law? How readest thou?" He answering said, "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbour as thyself." He said unto him, "That's answered right. This do, thou shalt live." but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side and likewise a Levi, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wombs, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. So again, here's another lawyer. He has confronted the Lord Jesus. Again, the lawyer is not sincere, he's not honest because it says specifically that this lawyer was tempting the Lord Jesus. He's trying to trap him, trying to get him to say something they can hold against him. When he said in Luke 10, 25, Luke 10, 25, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord asked him, what's written in the law? And the the lawyer probably knew that the Lord had had confrontation with this other lawyer and he probably knew that the Lord had said on the Bible or hanging, everything in the Bible is hanging on these two commandments, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So he answers that way and then the Lord says, right, do that and you live. But the man knew that that the term neighbor was fluid and he knew that what the scribes and the Pharisees defined as neighbors was the Jewish people and not the non-Jewish people. So this lawyer wanted confirmation that he was good to just love the Jewish people. So he asked him, in verse 29, Luke 10, 29, who is my neighbor? And the Lord answered this question with this certain history. Now what's important to see about how the Lord answered this, this was a history. This was not a parable. This was a true history. This really happened to this man who, there really was a Jewish man from Jerusalem, was traveling down the hill to go to Jericho. And this Jewish man really was attacked by thieves, and really he was left half dead. And there really was a Jewish priest who saw him half dead and just went over the other side of the road, avoiding getting close to him. And there really was a Jewish Levite who saw him and also avoided him. And there really was a non-Jewish hated Samaritan who saw him and went to him and dressed his wounds and brought him to an inn and took care of him and promised to pay the innkeeper anything more of expenses for taking care of him. And when the Jewish lawyer confessed that the Samaritan was the true neighbor to the Jewish man who was attacked, that cut right across the teachings of the Pharisees and the scribes. This Samaritan was not a convert to Judaism, There's no, it's not said anything like that. He wasn't a proselyte, he wasn't a convert, he was a Samaritan, he remained a Samaritan. So, this is very important. Now, this sets up, when you come back to Matthew 5, verse 44, with the words, but I say unto you, in other words, when he says that, whenever the Lord says that, but I say unto you, it's like the light is turned on in the room. A wonderful light dispels the darkness of hate thine enemies. And so he says that. He says that, but I say unto you. Now, he now goes to describe the enemies. And what's interesting about the enemies that he's describing here, these aren't just passive enemies. They're just like, oh yeah, he doesn't like me. These are active enemies who are cursing and hating and abusing. That's the way he describes them. Now, he says in order to do this, not hate your enemy, to love your enemies, Something has to be addressed, and that's this, what the Bible calls the root of bitterness against the enemies. The root of bitterness, which uh, Hebrews 12, 15 says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and there might be defiled. Now we all know there's two ways to deal with weeds. There's the easy way and the hard way. <laughs> and the easy way is the weed whacker that you get at Home Depot or any whatever. And you cut them down and you say, Oh, that's great. You know, there they are. But they grow up again, unless you go after the hard way. And by the way, my wife banned the weed whacker from our house. Instead, she had these little tools you dig in. And it's to dig up the root of the weed. Now, bitterness is represented in Hebrews 1215 as a root, a root that has to be dug up. This is what's kind of underlying that has to be done if verse 44 is going to be going to be taken seriously. and 44, about blessing your enemies and, and praying for those and hate you and, and doing good and so forth. Now, it's really easy, when you come to a verse like Matthew 5:44, Matthew 5:44, it's really easy to not park on this verse. It's really easy to just keep on drive by, because this is really radical what the Lord is calling to do in verse 44. He's calling, it's radical, because he's saying, first of all, identify those who are cursing you. Well, that's really not hard to do, but anyway. And then, bless them, that is hard to do. And then he's saying, identify those that hate you. And then he says, do good to them. And then he's saying, identify those who are abusing you, who are despitefully using you and persecuting you. And he says, pray for them. Now, these are commands, these are not like I suggest you do this or you might want to try this. No, these are commands that the Lord is giving in verse 44. I mean, just think about what is the Lord calling each of us to do personally here? What's he calling us? In a sense, he's really calling each of us to make three lists, three pieces of paper, three lists, and on the list to have two columns on each list. And the first list has the title over the top, those that hate me. (laughs) Okay, and the first column is you put the list of the names of the person that hates you, and then the second column is entitled how I'm going to bless them, how I'm gonna bless this one and this one and this one and this one. Okay, that's one list, and then the second list has the title. Now, the second one, the second list is the one I just talked about, those that hate you, and that's the list where you put down specifically how you're going to do good to those that, that hate you. And now the third list is those that abuse me, those that despitefully abuse me and persecute me, those that abuse me. And so again, two columns. So the first column is the names of those who are abusing you, who are taking advantage of you and persecuting you. And then the second column is what specifically you're going to pray for, for each one of those persons. Now that's not easy to do. I mean, you think of what this is basically doing is that it's helping those who are cursing us and hating us and abusing us. And the first response that we have when you hear something like this is, I don't want to. That's all, <laughs> it's real simple. You know? So what we need in order to do this is the want to. And the question is, where are we gonna find the want to? I mean, what's gonna motivate us to want to help these enemies? who are hating us, cursing us, and and abusing us.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org.